Welcome to Shed Life. Hello everyone, welcome. Today we've got Gurpreet with us. Gurpreet, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, very well indeed. How's lockdown treating you? Interesting, interesting. I'm getting to the point where I'm really itching to get back on a flight and explore. <laughs> so you're quite you? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm, I'm enjoying doing these uh, pods and uh, keeping myself busy in other areas. But you're quite an avid traveler, are you? Yeah, I've enjoyed traveling so much. And I spent last year in Australia, which was absolutely mind blowing. It was arguably the best year of my life. So um, we're going to talk about um, truth coaching. Mm. That is, uh, it's your new uh, path, I believe. Um, why don't you tell us exactly what truth coaching is? It's, uh, it's not well known to a lot of us, but it sounds very intriguing. Yeah, sure. As, so as a truth coach, I guide people in unraveling to the truth of who they are. Um, so I guess you'll find like as a society, well, when we're born, um, a lot of identities, I guess, are put on us. Like, okay, you're a girl, you like pink, you should do this, you should be clean and sit like this, you know. Um, and at that age, obviously, we can't really recognize what is actually ours and what isn't. And so when we get to a point where we're an adult, we're like, oh, I don't, you know, this doesn't resonate with me, but it's, I've, I've been told this is the way I should be living. Um, and that gets us into a tricky state, I guess. And so I like to work with people to unravel back to the truth of who they are as they unravel from mm. their stories. Yeah. That's quite interesting. So, so what kind of methods or techniques do you use to, um, to support this sort of unraveling process you mentioned? I guess to begin with, we've got to understand what's working and what's not working, right? What feels good because our desires and our pain isn't there just for shits and giggles, right? It's, it's kind of like an innate compass. It's, our, it's, it's what drives us north. So when something feels good, I believe we should be doing more of it, like doing things that light us up. And when, when something doesn't feel so good or when something feels stuck and it doesn't feel like you're in flow, I believe that's, that's communicating something to us about what we're doing. And it, they're, they're both guides in what we're here to do right on this planet. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's quite interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the audience, a lot of the listeners have heard of um, life coaches. Um, how does a life coach differ from a truth coach? Or is it quite a lot of overlap? To be honest, um, I guess it's just labels, right? You could say what I'm doing is life coaching. You could say it's truth coaching. You could say it's presence coaching. You could say it's a whole heap of things. Um, but in reality, the word or the term coach doesn't actually resonate with me. I don't, I don't know what does right now, but I mentor, I teach, I coach. Um, so I, yeah, I guess it's, it, it just came out as a, it's something that I like to focus mostly on because when we go back to the truth of who we are, it touches upon all parts of our life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think I, I believe it's one of the things that a lot of humanity needs to go back to is the truth of who we are. That's well interesting, actually, because if you think about like human society, there's a sort of collective nature of always putting labels on things. 
And oh. I know for the sake of, let's say, uh, occupation or passion or uh, vocation that you're doing, we, we, we called it truth coaching, right? Mm-hmm. And we were really asked you, what is it that you do? And you, you said, quite reluctantly, obviously, because like you mentioned, you said, all right, we can call it truth coaching, but there are so many different elements to it. Is that kind of going back to what you mentioned at the start, where being, being, having these stigmas put on you as a, as a female as from a young age, this and that, like, you know, liking pink or doing this and that, mm-hmm. it's everything being sort of, you know, categorized and in not letting things just flow and be open and be free. I mean, I don't know, I, I can't explain it, but it, it sounds similar sort of concept. Yeah, no, I hear you actually. Yeah, that's a really good point because one of my biggest values in life is freedom. Like I can't even have a notebook that's ruled anymore. I can't commit to a phone plan that's not a 30 day rollover. Like freedom is one of the biggest values in my life. And I guess that ties into titles as well. Like I just, I really, really firmly believe that every single human here has the right to change their mind whenever they want, right? If something no longer resonates, that's fine. If, if tomorrow something else resonates and something else feels better and this doesn't feel so good, that's fine too. Um, so having the freedom and you know, moving away from obligation for myself and holding no obligation for somebody else is massive for me. Like freedom is a really, 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 really big value in my life. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so just walk us through your journey to actually discovering truth coaching and what actually made you pursue it. Well, that's a big story, I guess. Um, so I guess the first time I ever like dabbled into this was, oh, I want to say even way before I um, graduated university. Um, but I grew up with an incredibly, incredibly um, big anger problem. Um, I was raging uh, a lot of the times and we, I think it must have been through family friends um, that I met a life coach. And so my mom was like really encouraging me, like, go see her. She might be able to help you understand what's going on here. And so I guess that sparked off my uh, passion in personal development. And since then, I have been like constantly nonstop hungry to understand why I behave the way I behave, why other people behave the way they behave. Um, so that sparked something massive. Um, and as journeys go, doing, I guess, like doing the coaching once there and then wasn't the be all and end all of things. I started uncovering things about myself where I grew up in a very conservative family. Um, and I guess you could say that I wanted something very different to what my family wanted for me. So in my family, I come from a North Indian background, um, African Indian background, sorry. And typically by the age of, I don't know, by the time you hit mid-20s, you've graduated university, you've kind of got a job, you're expected to kind of get married and start family. And that never really resonated with me. And it's, it's like, a, it's a completely fantastic thing to do if it's something that you want in, lo- in your life. But it never really resonated with me. And I was always, I guess, the black sheep of the family where I was like, hang on, something doesn't feel right about you know, the women always always cooking and cleaning and serving and I'd always be the one who's like what is going on here why is this happening um and so things just things just never felt quite in resonance with me we could say um and so I guess last year well the year before last sorry I guess in 2018 um I got to rock bottom where I hit a, like depression and 
I was like, okay, enough's enough. And I had this dream for, I guess, almost over 10 years where I was like, I want to do a year abroad. And, you know, my family would always be like, no, not until you're married. You can't go traveling by yourself. You need to have a man. Da, 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 da. And I was like, no. Um, and so I let that story go on for 10 years. Uh, I told myself that, you know, my mom would need me in London because my dad passed away when I was seven. And, and so I've been very, you know, I've been there for my mom, right? And um, just existing to make sure that she's, she's okay. Um, and so I chose to kind of put my, you know, my desires and what I wanted on the back burner um, until it got to a point where I was like, you know what, I can't, this is rock bottom. Uh, if I don't do something now, like I, I have no idea what would happen, right? It, it was really, really, really painful. And so April, 2019, I head off to Australia and it was a place where I didn't have to fight off, um, I guess, any stories or anything or any expectations that were put on me. And I was simply left to be exactly what I wanted to be or exactly who I was. Like, I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to be. I actually went out there to understand who I was without, without all the expectations. Um, I honestly, I'd never been so happy in my life. I'd never laughed so hard in my life either. And so I thought, wait, there's something going on here. There's, there's something to it, right? When you follow things that light you up, it reflects in your life. It reflects in the way you are. Um, but I knew there was more to it. And so I got in touch with someone who I looked up to dearly. And I had followed for a few years. Um, her name's Yana Robinson. And so I reached out to her. She's a fantastic, fantastic coach. Um, absolutely incredible. And so I'd been working with Yana for a long time now, I think for four or five months. Uh, well, actually, coming up close to six months now. Um, in unraveling, I guess. And stepping towards what resonates with me more than anything. Um, and I guess the more I step into what resonates with me and step into the things that light me up, I can see how it's reflecting in my life and how my life is changing for the, for the positive. So yeah, I think that's, that, that took me to thinking about my career. And like I said before, things were a bit iffy in the point where I was like, I'm being called to coach people who don't want it. I was like, I know I have something to offer here. Um, and I want to work with people who deeply desire and are hungry for this growth and wanting something out of life that's different, right? different to what they have and aren't resonating with um and so yeah I got to my place got, got to the place where I was just like there's been so much like I, I I'm an absolute psych nerd and I love nerding out on all things psychology and behavior <laughs> um and yeah so I got to the point where I was like okay I've been through heaps and heaps and heaps and like I've worked through a lot of trauma and through conversations with other people I was noticing a lot of people were going for very similar things um, and I just got to the point where I was like, you know what, we, we all, we all need, you know, we all need waking up. Let me be the alarm clock for this awakening because there's such an incredible life out there for us. That's just within reach. If we just step into it and say, okay, I choose me. Yeah, that's, um, that's actually a illuminating story to be honest. Um, there's, there's a lot of questions I have from that. I mean, First of all, that's a, like I said, that's a quality story. Um, it's a great path you've been down. And it's good to see you on this side now, obviously so bubbly and positive. So it's, 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 you know, it's like inspirational isn't it, to a lot of people. Um, but there's two things I want to touch upon. I mean, if you don't mind talking about it 
number one was the, the depression, right? And I know it's, it's mental health week, I think this week, um, actually to be honest, by the time this gets released, it's probably last week, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is a big topic at the moment. And back in the day, it wasn't, there was a lot of stigma behind that itself, right? Um, mm -hmm. About mental health. And I just want to know, like being, now you're obviously aware of it and you can talk about it quite freely, but going through at the time, how aware of it were you of what you were going through and feeling and how did people closest to you um, address that? Because like you did say that there is a lot of stigma around many different facets in life. And I think mental health, obviously back in, back in the day was, was a clear one, which isn't so openly talked about and maybe even addressed or acknowledged. So you know, just if you don't mind talking a bit about that situation. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I didn't really know I was in it until it was really, really bad. <laughs> um, I guess I could give you an example of a story. I'm normally the really, really, really annoying person who is counting down the last second to the new year, right? I'm always like, oh my God, oh my God, it's about to be the new year. <laughs> um, and it got to, I think it was December 2018. and I think this was around the time where I realized I was depressed and it was New Year's Eve and my family and I normally go to the Gurdwara, the Sikh temple and to see into the new year and I just could not stop crying like it was literally like you know when you have a cough and your body just reacts and coughs like just automatically it was just I couldn't stop crying and I would lay down on my bed to try and sleep and I would just be like throttled up in tears I just I couldn't stop crying and it was, yeah, it was incredibly painful. And I remember I just, I took night nurse. If you don't know, night nurse actually knocks you out when you're, when you've got a flu. I just took it because I was like, I need something to make me stop crying. And I took night nurse and I just slept at 10 PM and I just slept my way for the first time into the new year. And um, which was really, really sad thinking about it. Um, cause I'm really, really love seeing the new year in. Um, but I'm not too sure how the people around me took it because I was recently having a conversation with my mom about it and she she was like oh it wasn't that bad was it like when I was telling her I was just like while I wasn't suicidal I had no desire to live um and I guess if I didn't you know pay attention to what was going on I could have very well gone down that path but I had absolutely no desire to live I'd wake up and I'd be like well no just no <laughs> um but I was very very lucky and blessed because I guess it happened on two occasions before I went for Australia. And then when I came back from Australia and I came back to London, it started showing up again because I guess depression is the feeling of hopelessness and being trapped. Uh, and I guess I felt that for most of my life being trapped into a story that I didn't, I didn't want to be a part of, or it just didn't resonate with me. And I guess a lot of that followed back when I came back from Australia and I was really blessed to have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful coach, Yana, an incredible friend who, like, you know, I, I was going to yoga to try and ground back into myself because I was just so like, ah, don't know what's going on. And yeah, just before classes and after classes, I'd just sit and just be crying, crying, crying in this yoga studio with my friend and she'd be there for all of it. And my mom and my brother were really understanding and that you know, something's going on. Um, but it was only recently my mom was like, well, it wasn't that bad, was it? I was like, yeah, ma, I, I didn't even want to live. Um, so I guess some people understood. I guess it wasn't understanding. It was, I guess, what I let people know. 
like I let my friend know I was just like oh look I don't I don't want to be live right now she'd be like okay cool let's go meditate and die in meditation you know um so that was revolutionary for me um and yeah I guess that that's how it played out mm. but you know going back to what you said when you when you spoke to the, those people closest around you about it what was their sort of reaction uh, because again we're, we're sticking on the theme with stigmas Mm. And it's always hard to imagine, I guess, if you haven't got a history of it or you're not well educated enough about this situation or you're not in a rude way, but even if sometimes you turn a blind eye and assume that this can't happen to me or my family, mm. etc. Mm -hmm. What was this? What was that kind of reaction from those people closest to you when you did, like you've said in your own words, mention, oh, I didn't want to live, you know, things like that, quite, which is obviously, it's quite, it's, it's the lowest of, the lower you can get close enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Um... I guess I never really, well, so it was a bit tricky because when I came back from Australia, we were preparing for my brother's wedding, which was phenomenally, ugh, phenomenally, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenally exciting, right? It was incredible. It was great. Um, so in one breath, I was just like, I do not want to bring down this beautiful atmosphere of fun and excitement with me being depressed. So in one way, I felt like a bit of a burden, but in another breath, I was just like really, really down. And I was just like, oh shit, I don't want my brother to be like, oh shit, she's not happy about me getting married kind of thing. So I did, I was just like, yeah, I did go up to them and I was like, you know, it's come back because they knew I was going through depression before I left for Australia. I was like, look, it's come back and I'm really sorry. Um, and God bless him, he had heaps on his plate already and he was really, really supportive. He was like, don't worry, we're all here for you kind of thing. He was super, super supportive about it. Um, so that was a real blessing. Same with my ma, she was, you know, always there to be like, what can I help with? What can I do? Um, so yeah, it was, it was really nice. That's quality. Um, going to some of these, um, I think, would you mention Yana Robinson? Is that mm -hmm. one of your coaches now? So you said she sort of helped you unravel. Um, during this unraveling process, just, just a starting point while we're on the topic, did she, um, did she help you unravel to a point where you kind of self-diagnose almost maybe the reasons or the warning signs uh, of this depression, you know, men mental health state that you're in at the time. W was that part of the journey that you took with her? And if so, what did that sort of entail? Um, so I started working with Yana, well, I guess late last year, early this year, but I had been through depression already um, in 2018. So I kind of knew what it was, what it was like, what it was about, what it felt like. And so um, during our sessions, I'd be like, I'd tell her, I'd be like, yeah, it's come back. And we'd kind of work through it. Um, and bless her, she, she was fantastic in, like, in supporting me through that. Um, she helped me so much with grounding. And, you know, she encouraged me with like, yoga was one of the things that really ground, like it was, yoga is not something that usually resonated with me. I, I, I'm in a bit more of a aggressive sport, I guess, but, she encouraged me to go down the path of yoga and ground and and help me in my day-to-day -day, I guess um, and yes yeah, so she helped me go through it if that makes sense but in, in terms of identifying it it wasn't hard to identify because I was like ah oh, this feeling again I know what this feeling is I felt this in 2018 it, it you know it's like you know when you start sniffling you're like ah oh, shit the flu's coming back or the cold is coming back whatever and so yeah identification wise I, I was pretty quick to be like, okay, something's going on here. This has happened before. 
Okay. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, based on your own experience, I mean, I was wondering if you could give maybe some of our listeners, is there any, is there any sort of warning signs to look out for? Because some people I know, like, like we mentioned stigma, we keep using that buzzword, but it is very key because some people will feel certain things and might just put it down to, I don't know, the little things they're going through in life or the weather, you know, financial difficulties or relationships, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. But there must be some, maybe some sort of warning signs which we're not educated enough to really know or acknowledge and maybe sometimes turn our back upon. So is there mm-hmm. anything there you can enlighten us with? I think, to be honest, I think it's a, it's a very individual story different people right it could come like some people can inherit it I guess if if you know their families have experienced it it could you know be passed down to them but it could be something that's environmental it could be it could be down to different down to different things sorry but one of the things that screams loudest to me is if you're not in resonance with yourself and I could sound like a broken record and you may want to just throw your headphones out, (laughs) but if you are not in resonance with yourself, these things show up. Um, if it, and I guess it goes down to what's your relationship like with pain as a society, as a society, right? We're so misaligned and you know, we're, we're suffering a crisis in confidence, but, we tend to typically satiate it with things like Netflix, food, uh, alcohol, sex, drugs, whatever, because we're like, shit, that's too scary. And understandably so, it's really, really scary to meet your pain body, but it's understandable, but not sustainable, right? Because the more you turn away from it, the bigger it gets. And it's like, it goes back to feeling like, on even on your day-to-day, even if we're talking outside the realm of depression, if you're feeling sad or if you're feeling like, anxious or something the more you try and resist that feeling the bigger it gets right and so start looking at your your relationship with pain if you're constantly turning away from it see if you can sit in stillness right okay not meditation isn't for everybody but if you can meditate on it sit with it and be like okay contemplate it you don't even have to meditate on it but contemplate it right and understand like where is this coming from what are the stories i'm telling myself is this true and is if there's even 1% that this isn't true, what would that look like, right? Start getting curious. It's so important. I think it's so important to know ourselves and it's so important to make space for ourselves. We don't do that. We typically, like if a friend is feeling down, we're quick to drop everything and we're like, hey, what's up? What can I do for you? Let me take you out. I'll hear like, what, what's going on. I'll be a shoulder to cry. But do we ever do that for ourselves? Do we ever make the space and be like, okay, something's coming up and I don't know what it is. Let me sit down five minutes. Five minutes is all it could take. I'm not saying it always is, but five minutes is all it could take for you to just sit with it and be like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? What's showing up? Where in my body is it hurting? Where do I feel it in my body? Right? So yeah. I guess if you're looking at the signs, it's, it's very much of, and I guess this isn't just relevant for depression, but what is your relationship like with pain? How comfortable are you to sit in it? And are you, are you willing to be open to listen to what your body's trying to tell you because the, like, as a society again we're living very neck up right on paper this looks good so i should do this on paper this degree looks good so i should do this so technically this would make me the most money so that should probably mean i'm more secure in my life so i should do this and we we just continue to live neck up we don't really pay attention to what our body's trying to tell us but there's so many messages in our body if we just sit 
and listen to what our gut has to say. If that's where intuition comes in, right? You, you, you start thinking about intuition or you start connecting with your intuition and making decisions from there and you start listening to those messages. You'll start understanding what your body's trying to tell you. It's like, oh, hey, I'm starting to feel low. Okay, what's going on? Or it seems to be that, you know, I'm not in the right career. I'm not in the right relationship. I'm not, you know, it could be a number of things. So yeah, I hope that helps. Yeah, I mean, in that sort of explanation, how are we exactly defining pain? How sort of acute and how extreme are we going and how physical are we going and how mental, how mental are we going? What kind of aspects are we looking for? Do you know what I mean? Something which might just be a passing, you know, bout of pain, whether it's physical or mental or something which, okay. what's the things we're looking for to actually say, all right, it's time for me to change my whole mindset, my attitude. And like you said, med- start meditating on it and other, other sort of practices. Mm-hmm. Um, I could I could tell you I could give you an example if that helps because um, yes, <laughs> the funny thing is right so with this trip for Australia like I said I wanted to do it for over 10 years every year I'd be like hey Mark can I go can I go can I do this trip on my um, you know go and do this trip live abroad for a year and it was always met with a no you know it's too dangerous you should go with you know go get married and do it blah, blah, blah. and every year I passed it by and it was like oh you know We've got to stay in London then, right? Okay, cool. I'll pass it by. The next year, I got the same feeling. I was like, shit, I need to get out there. And, you know, there's something out there in the world I need to go and see. Um, and it was always a no. So I was like, I kept dismissing it. I was like, kept dismissing it, kept dismissing it until I hit rock bottom, right? So it's kind of like the universe has given you feathers of, hey, this is, you know, like I said, in the, you know, towards the beginning of the podcast, your desires and pain aren't there to just, they're not shits and giggles. They're actually our compass to, what's driving us and what we what we came here for right there's something in this so it could be as minor as actually I don't feel like eating this today I feel like eating that it could be as big as this relationship no longer resonates with me this relationship no longer you know it doesn't fulfill me I can't be in this anymore it could be as big as okay this country or this city doesn't resonate with me I gotta go it's about listening to even the smallest parts that are trying to speak to you it doesn't have to be massive and i'd really 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 like to suggest that people start listening to the smaller things because the more we dismiss them the bigger they're going to get because it's something is trying to get our attention and if it's like a crying baby like if you ignore it it's probably going to start crying louder it's trying to get your attention you don't ignore it right uh, it's trying to give you a signal for something it either wants attention food whatever and um, uh, but mm. yeah no, that's really interesting. I mean, one thing I picked up there. So I'm just trying to find the line in, in the sense of a lot of the stuff you described just there in the example, which is obviously it makes a lot of sense. Um, but a lot of it sort of resonated with the fight and flight sort of uh, theory, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of it was like, you know, if there's something which you don't, again, resonate with or can't allude to, just leave it. You know, and that kind of seems like that's the flight motion. Um, mm-hmm. But then when is the time to sort of knuckle down and maybe fight for something, which even though it might not be the way you see it or your gut sees it or what you want it to be, when do you sort of, you know, get down and fight for that to remain in place? Or, you know, what I'm trying to say in a similar example, mm-hmm. like you said, relationships, relationships, it might, there might be cases or times where it seems this is too much work. It's not worth the hassle. And you might forget the reasons why you're in that relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, where's the line where you fight for that relationship or maybe you flight and you just say, no, this is not for me. I'm going. Relationships, I guess, are, it, it's a multifaceted thing, right? So number one, it could be 
if you're in a relationship that doesn't feel good, that doesn't make you feel good, but you're like, I want to fight to stay in it. Ask yourself the question why you're trying to fight to stay in it. Is it because deep, 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 deep down, you're like, oh shit, I'm never going to find someone else to love me. I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm never going to find someone like this. Because if that's the case, we need to start looking at where this is coming from. Why, you know, why do you feel like you're, like you're not worthy? And you're basically compartmentalizing yourself into a, a relationship just for the sake of security. Because and it, it's understandable because it's wired in our DNA. Like if you go back to our caveman days and you had like a, a different thought than that of your tribe, it usually equated to a certain death, right? Because you'd be exiled and being a single person meant that, you know, you're vulnerable to certain death. And so it's understandable that we constantly want to keep people close to us and we constantly want to be well, not alone, right? Um, but when it comes to things like relationships, we need to start waking up and saying that there's no saber-toothed tiger anymore. Um, if this relationship no longer resonates with you, you've got to start understanding why you're trying to fight for this relationship. If it's a different case of, okay, when you kind of know deep down it's just a rough patch or something like that, then yeah, go for it and, and start resolving whatever it is that's brought you to this place. But you know deep down, like whether you want to acknowledge the fact that you're too afraid to step out of this relationship because you don't feel like you'll find someone else or whether it's just that, okay, we're going through something right now. The only person who can decide that is yourself because you're the only person in that relationship, right? No one can, you know, I, you know, you can get someone, a third person, they can give you a view of what they're seeing as a third objective party. But honestly, the only person who can make that decision is you. And you have to, have to, have to, have to be brutally honest with yourself. This can, like, this is where it comes to trusting yourself, right? When you get those feelings and you know that this is something that, you know, depending on what the conflict has happened, like, you know, if, if, if someone, it depends on your values again, right? Like boundaries and preferences. Do we understand the difference between a boundary and a preference? Like, okay, cool. I prefer if you don't check, you know, if, I, if I'm thinking about a partner, if like I prefer if you don't check someone out in front of me or whatever, but it's a boundary if you go and sleep with that person while we're in a relationship, right? There's a consequence. And so you've got to understand with this conflict, where does that sit within your values? Where does that sit within your boundaries? Where does that sit within your preferences? So it's, it's very contextual, but also you've got to start asking yourself the questions and being incredibly honest with yourself of, you know what, I kind of know this relationship isn't going anywhere where it's, it's propelling us into something you know, positive or something like growing. Um, yeah, I, I, hope that, I hope that makes sense. No, most definitely that does make sense. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, our, our sort of word of the day is stigma. And there are a lot of people, I guess, in different walks of life um, where stigma is maybe placed upon them, maybe if they are married, for example, and, and it's, it's so much harder to leave that relationship or end mm. that. Do you know what I mean? They might feel all the things you mentioned them feeling, but that stigma and that sort of society looking down upon you, it just makes it that much more difficult mm -hmm. to actually take that leap of uh, that next step and get away from it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, right. yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say there are so many stigmas, but like, I mean, typically, you know, you'll hear the, um, oh, we're only staying together because of the kids. That's, that's one that comes up quite often. But actually going down to it, the best thing you could do for that kid is show them what it looks like to be in a healthy relationship. Show them what it looks like to have a boundary where it's like, okay, we're experiencing a lot of conflict. We don't want that. We'd rather be 
in a loving presence with one another. So we're going to separate or we're going to go for a divorce, right? It's much, much, much more beneficial for a kid to experience and see um, two adults being able to look after themselves and be in a space where they can um, interact together like in a civilized way rather than just being in a house where there's constant conflict constant negativity constant and then even subconsciously as a parent you start building up resentment because you're doing this for someone else and you're not doing this for yourself right i get that you know Gabri, sorry just to jump in there i get that completely that that's a really good point but how easy is it for a kid to maybe you know who's at a young age to comprehend that that's the situation do you know what I mean? I mean, they might not know, they won't know the ins and outs of the relationship and what's making it, uh, in quotation, sort of toxic and unbearable. But mm-hmm. the only thing they're going for is the downside of having uh, a parents sort of go their separate ways and that mm-hmm. they're, they're bearing all this new sort of emotional discomfort, which is arising from that. Mm-hmm. And they're not actually comprehending what we're saying. It's obviously, you know, which is, I guess, from the adult's point of view is that it's not working, it's not good. And I get what you're saying, we can, parents, I guess they can be civil in this and that, and it, it does help the kids, but it's still at the end of the day, the kids won't, surely they're not cognitive enough to really understand that, that you know, change in their lifestyle and how they're, how they're being brought up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so with kids, obviously, depending on the age, well, actually, irrespective of age, when you're a child, you're looking up to your parents to understand the world, right? You're looking at your parents to understand how, what is and what is not acceptable for you, right? How people can treat you, how people can't treat you. So if I see my mom constantly like being treated like crap, I'm like, okay, cool, that's normal, right? You start understanding that's normal. And so if you're constantly seeing your parents, uh, I don't know, like fight in conflict, you start seeing that as normal right and so you may not realize it at that age but when you grow up you're gonna start seeing different things so you know if you're if you're in a place where your parents are constantly occupied with uh, fighting and in conflict you may feel like your needs are not important your wants and needs don't count because mom and dad are too busy fighting or doing something different right so you grow up and you're like okay i'm needless and wantless and it's actually you you start yeah you start identifying the fact that you your needs and wants don't really matter because your caregivers, your primary caregivers didn't even have time to you know, understand or notice that I want or I need this. So when you grow up as an adult, you start realizing, well, I don't have any wants and needs, but actually you just don't know how to identify them because your primary caregivers didn't teach you how to identify them. Right. So it's actually actions you're, in your actions, you're teaching your kids. And it's like one thing that I love about, uh, Naomi Wolf, um, she, this, is, this is on a bit of a different tangent, but she talks a lot about body image. And she says, um, I might get this quote wrong, but she says something along the lines of, um, the best vaccine you can give your child from um, low self-esteem is self-love. And what she means by that is by loving yourself, you're teaching your child to love themselves right? If mom is constantly like, oh, I'm always, I'm so ugly, or oh, I'm, I'm too thin, or I'm too fat, or I'm too this, I'm not enough of this, the child is going to start picking up on that, and they'll start growing up knowing that's normal. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Um, I'm, I might be picking it, clutching a straw, but well, where's, the, where's the boundary between self-love and sort of vanity? How does that affect a child? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're saying, 
oh, you know, I'm so beautiful. I'm the beautiful, prettiest person, girl in the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, how does that resonate with a child? You know, to maybe, I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying, but yeah. It does, it does. It, <laughs> no, and I hear what you're saying. I hear, I hear what you're saying. But if we look at it as what kind of currently happens is typically like growing up as seeing people who are constantly like, oh, I'm too fat. Or I'm, you know, if you're if you're around people who are constantly judgmental, you're gonna start you're gonna start understanding the way of the the uh, the law of the land, sorry, as being a very judgmental place. So you can almost masquerade your wounds as self confidence or um, a high performer because you're too afraid to let down your your walls, like using air quote walls, or um, just have a lack of boundaries because you're hustling constantly to get the love that your parents never gave you because they were perfectionists or they were constantly judgmental of other people. But if we teach our children that we value ourselves, right? The way to live, the way to live is constantly, sorry, not the way to live is constantly, but um, sorry, I'm a bit like lost for words right now. But if we can constantly be in a state of self-love and and self-respect and believing in our self-worth that, that being witnessed by a kid, they start to understand this is the way to live, right? Instead of picking ourselves apart constantly, the kid's gonna grow up saying, okay, I need to pick, pick myself apart. I'm not good enough because of this. I'm not good enough for that. Like, bless her, my, uh, she's a six year old, yeah, my six year old niece. She, so I, I suffered with, sorry, I'm going back and forth right now, but I suffered with um, acne growing up, um, not growing up, but in my 20s. And I still have acne, I still have acne scars. And it was actually during my brother's wedding. Um, she came, she hugged me, bless her heart. She, she looks up at me and she goes, hey, Gupibois, what do you look like without makeup? And for a second, my heart stopped. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was literally like, oh, that I have to be very careful about what I say right now. And I was like, I just looked at her and I was like, beautiful. Because if I say to her, I look ugly, I look, you know, I've got hideous scars and this and that she's gonna god forbid she she suffers with acne she's gonna be like oh, okay acne equals not being beautiful and that's not to, i mean yeah does that does that make sense i think like, i think that's a really good point i think i'll i'll try and see if i can take it one step further if you don't mind because i know yeah. you said the self-love um is really important that a parent gives i think it's also important to teach children especially if we're talking about children love everything about everyone if that makes sense like everyone has their own sort of aspects and facets that make them unique and lovable per se mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so you can be a different skin color speak a different mm-hmm. language have a different body shape etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's good to value all these sort of commodities and individuals and if you learn that as a child then maybe you eradicate certain uh you know certain issues that we have in the world like um uh, bigotry and all that mm. stuff and uh, loads of different stuff maybe maybe you have less bullying and all that because you realize okay this is a different human being he might look or talk or act differently to me but he's just um just as valuable as as i am kind of so that self-love a sh- parent shows maybe they should teach that everyone is that just in their own unique way you might it might, it might all not all be uh, physical and on you know visible by the eye but it's there it might be deep down but everyone's sort of not not the same because no one is the same i don't think but everyone should be treated the same and valued the same 
totally agree. Um, you could say, how could you treat, I mean, like not even, even if we take it out of the context of a child, how can you teach someone to love another when you don't love yourself, right? Um, so I often go, even when we're talking about body image, right? If we talk about body image here, and I say to someone, for example's sake, I say, ah, oh, you know, my stomach's too fat, for example's sake. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're not, you're not too fat. Number one, by say, you know, by being like, no, 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 you're not too fat. There's nothing wrong with being fat, right? Even if you perceive me as not being fat. Number two, right? This is, this is the part I find to be most important is if you're saying, no, 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 that's fine. You look fine. And you go back into the mirror and you look at yourself and you're like, God damn, no, no way. I, I'm way too fat, right? Or I'm, I'm not pretty or I'm, I'm ugly or I'm, you know, I'm not handsome, whatever. How can you recognize the beauty in me if you don't recognize the beauty in you? If we look very similar and you tell me I'm beautiful and you go back into the mirror and you, you start picking yourself apart, it's, it's not real, right? It's not real. It always starts with us because our outer world are a reflection of our inner world. If we don't recognize the beauty in us, we cannot by any means recognize the beauty in somebody else. Does that, does that make sense? And so when it comes to kids, Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, when it comes to kids, teaching them to accept, be open and love every part of themselves is all also in the same breath, teaching them to love, accept and be open to every part of everybody else. Because they're like, oh, cool. This is something that, you know, oh, my skin is like this. I love my skin or the other person's skin is like this. Okay, cool. I have love for their skin, too, because it's just skin. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, I think that's one one thing that would be really good to change in society um mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know if whether we're too far gone or who knows to be honest with you yeah we'll wait and see i have hope <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's positive um all right so just moving away from that subject now let, let's go back to some of your coaches and some of the people who sort of inspire you and um you kind of learn from and you know i, I know one person in particular we, we both sort of know and this came up accidentally, I think, when we talked last time, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I think, I think mm. a lot of people know him and uh, how, uh, how uh, interesting his work is. But yeah, when just touch upon some of the, the people that have, that have had an impact and what you've learned from them. And, you know, like, like your Yana, Yana Robinson, I think you said. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. my, Yeah, so all these people. Yeah, absolutely. Yana was um, one of the most amazing things about Yana when I even just stumbled upon her Instagram page. Um, a few years ago, I was just like, oh my days, this is, this woman embodies authenticity. This woman embodies the truth of who she is in a way I'd never seen before. I was like, wow, I want to live like that. Um, she's just phenomenal. So she, like, even while we weren't working together a few years ago, um, even just following her content, it was inspiring to me to be like completely unapologetically myself. Um, so that was Yana, Dr. Jody Spenzler. Yes, absolutely love his work. Um, so just the way he backs up a lot of the stuff that he experiences with science. So like typically a lot of people can put like, you know, meditation down as just woo woo. It's spirituality. It's, you know, not for me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and obviously if you, if you're familiar with the work of Dr. Jody Spenzler, you'll know people go to, you know, who have done the work and then attend his workshops, you know, they you know i'll go from a wheelchair to dancing on stage or they gain their sight back whatever 
and people are like yeah yeah whatever it's, it's easy to dismiss when it's just classed as spirituality or woo woo right but what i love about dr joe dispenza is that he backs it up with science now, i'm a big spirituality fan i i love it to bits and i, I believe in it wholeheartedly um but when i try and explain it to someone who doesn't which is totally fine as well because each their own i love that now i can back it up with science like he does a lot of work in quantum physics and one of the things I love most about him is he talks about the living in a future self rather than a past self, which is um, the concept of, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you immediately start downloading your past. Like, okay, what did I do yesterday? Um, you know, what was I wearing? What did I eat? Da, 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 da. Everything starts coming from, what was I experiencing? What emotions did I feel? Everything comes from yesterday. But what he says is if we can wake up into a future self where we wake up with the notion of I am healed, or you know my acne's gone or you know um we start to like change the circuits in our brain our neuro pathways as a map to the future um and so it kind of you start living as if you know you've got everything that you're looking for um, and i think that's a beautiful way to live because it goes down to again like the stories that you tell yourself uh, so i absolutely adore his work um I mean, his 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 concert as well, like you mentioned, is basically breaking out of habits, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's breaking out of those old habits, those habitual cycles, which make you feel certain ways and kind of keep you in your shell. And that might sort of then brew certain illnesses or negative thoughts of this and that, and maybe doesn't stretch you to the potential that you can get to. But um, yeah. one thing he does mention, which I'm intrigued, I don't know if you can shed any light on this, but it's one thing... I kind of understand, but I kind of don't, if that makes sense. Um, and that's when he sort of, he mentions a lot in this, the body becoming the unconscious mind. And I think that really, I think that's kind of in line with what you were saying about uh, looking to go forward in your future self and leave behind the past self because when you wake up, you uh, immediately download your past history, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that's something which I think the way he explains is interesting, but I still maybe I haven't got the brain capacity to kind of uh, translate that. <laughs> I don't know if you can shed any light on that. <laughs> uh, I could tell you my interpretation, um, which is I recently actually heard a shocking statistic of for throughout our day, 95 to 99% runs on our subconscious thoughts. So our subconscious mind technically runs 95 to 99% of our day. Right. Um, and so from that, I gather is your body becomes your, the unconscious mind is your body responds to your thoughts, right? Your body responds to your mind. And if your if your mind is constantly in the subconscious where, you know, things are like, you know, you're, you're living from, I guess, from a state of empiricism, nothing's really going to change because like they say, you're doing the same thing and expecting a different result is you know, madness. Um, and so if you're wanting a different outcome and you want your body to change, and if your body is this unconscious mind, you have to start tampering with the unconscious and you have to start trying to rewire your subconscious, right? And that takes a lot of being proactive, I guess. Um, and I guess start paying attention to what thoughts are coming up and start asking yourself, okay, why are these thoughts coming up? Because they're programming my subconscious. How can I change that? And taking yourself into a new direction. Um, and I guess your body will start to respond if you're, mind is in a different place if that makes sense yeah yeah absolutely 
So some of these other people that you've learned from, I know you mentioned, um, we spoke before, uh, the Hendrix. Um, they were sort of discussing, I think, what's, what's their names? I think they're a couple, right? Married couple, Gay and Katie Hendrix or something. Ah, uh, yes, I love Gay Hendrix, yes. Yeah, and they were discussing how they teach core skills for conscious living and conscious loving. Um, how does that differ from maybe all these other coaches you've uh, learned from and even Joe, who obviously has more of a scientific background and speaks in a more sciencey, sciencey kind of way, that's the word. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, what's the difference? I think it all kind of ties in, to be honest, right? Um, with Joe Dispenza, um, Gay Hendrix, and like even Mastin Kip, who's someone who talks about like self self sorry self sabotage. So like if we if we take it back a step and we start looking at wanting to do something different, right? So say for example, I have a public speaking event tomorrow. I've not done that before. For example, say can I say okay, cool? I'm getting anxious right? And the anxiety is coming from a place of the unknown because I've never done something like this before. So your body is trying to, you know, it's starting to alarm you of like, okay, this is the unknown. We're not safe in the unknown. So think about the caveman days again, right? We're not safe in the unknown. So your body's going to start giving you like an anxious feeling to get you back to comfort because your brain knows comfort equals safety and security. And so when we, and we know like, no one really grows in your comfort zone to get growth you have to come out of your comfort zone so if you're going to do a public speaking event you're going to start feeling those anxious thoughts and so you could say it's self-sabotage your body's trying to self-sabotage you but what i love about mastin kip he says that it's not actually self-sabotage it's actually self-love because your body never works against you and um, it's not sorry not self-love sorry self-protection your body never works against you because what your body is trying to do is take you back to a place of safety but what you have to do, as what Dr. Joe Dispenza says, is be greater than your environment and overcome that and be like, you know, you just tap your heart and be like, hey, it's safe. It's okay. It's safe. And I'm not saying that's going to eradicate all the nerves about public speaking because anxiety and excitement are, on, you know, they're along the same chemicals of um, each other. Um, and so it's similarly with Gay Hendricks, he talks about the upper limit problem. We subconsciously, when we you know, like, for example, when we're going on a diet, we reach a certain weight and we're like, yeah, we're getting there. We, you know, it's going to happen. I'm going to get my ripped abs. Da, 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 da. Um, and you, you experience something called the upper limit problem, which Gay Hendricks talks about, where you've reached your limit of, I guess, you know, success and your body's going to start encouraging you to go back to what's safe and what's known. Um, so, yeah, I think they do all tie in very much. Um, I guess that's what I love about it is they, you know, everyone speaks to some of the same things, which kind of makes it a little stronger, I guess. Uh, that's awesome. That is awesome. All right. Um, I think moving off topic, um, one thing I'm really intrigued by is that feeling of empathy. Um, again, we've, we've, we've touched upon this in the past and it's a, it's a, it's a really weird feeling. And a lot of people, I don't want to say the word suffer from it, because mm -hmm. I think it can be a gift and a problem at times. What's your sort of take on it, like in terms of the, the, the dynamics of it? And also, why does it occur with some people so strongly and maybe not so much others? Because, mm -hmm. yeah, if that makes sense. I mean, it's just a really interesting emotion, I think. And uh, I wouldn't I want to say skill again, but it's, it's intriguing. Yeah, I mean, being empathetic is beautiful. Um, 
but like you said it does it does have its uh, caveats i guess uh one thing that i really love that mark groves talks about is um i guess it's the boundaries kind of thing right um so when we are taking on someone else's pain we're taking on a lot right we're taking on you could argue more than 50 percent of the relationship and we start wearing what they're feeling we start making theirs ours and then we start feeling really guilty if their situation doesn't change so if we start wearing other people's pain and we start suffering from the fact that we can't do anything about it with them we start feeling guilty we start feeling shame that we are not able to to, to move them out of that situation because we feel it's with such depth right um and it's it i guess it's a bit more helpful coming from an angle of compassion where you can understand somebody's pain but not swim in it right and you're in a much better place you're well positioned to be able to help them out of it and help them see a new path or help them see a different perspective does that well, what sense? yeah 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 i mean just to follow up why do you think some people have this feeling more sort of prevalent in their i don't know their dna or the wherever it may be like it, it, do you think it is a genetic thing or an environmental thing I, how does it I, I just can't get my head around it because it is something i think is it's really interesting as an emotion because it's so kind of unique and then mm -hmm. maybe if you take i don't know 50 percent of the population or even less so many people might actually feel so strongly about this and have experiences where they're they're feeling this kind of invisible sort of like you said yearning and pain towards someone else in their situation and they may not have any experience of it whatsoever but just mm -hmm. being told a story for example and they, they suddenly get this real interesting feeling yeah I, I, how do you think it is it genetic do you think or it's really difficult one to explain i can't speak genetically because I, I mean i have i have no sure. idea yeah. what experience. but i can speak a little bit towards something that may happen growing up so growing up if you have a parent who puts everything on you as in like everything they're experiencing everything they're going through and they put it on you you have a tendency where you can't delineate what's mine and what's yours right we don't we typically don't understand where my pain starts and yours or and stops sorry and where you begin and you know and we can't delineate between the two of us and that can follow us growing up and we can start taking on other people's pain because it's something that we've experienced growing up as well right we don't really understand how to identify what's ours like again like you know we we, uh, we spoke about earlier is our parents teach us how to identify what's ours and what's what's not ours right our parents teach us what's you know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in the way we interact um, and obviously it's not always the be all and end all because you can grow up and you can you know, research, you can read and you can understand um, and change that. But typically what happens is you tend to overspill into somebody else. Like, and it goes both ways because you can spill into somebody else's pain, but you also, you're in a place where you have a porous boundary, which is where you're connected, but you're not protected, where you basically allow everything onto you and you, overspill and share into somebody else as well because you don't have that boundary to deline delineate what's mine and what's yours does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah it's a real interesting topic i would love to know the science behind it but from a psycho psychological point of view that's um that's very interesting all right Gapri, um we have taken up a lot of your time and we have learned an absolute 
fortune from you. It's been actually uh, really illuminating. Um, any last words from you and maybe hit us with some truth coaching conclusions if you can. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking. Um, honestly, follow what lights you up. I can't stress that enough. Follow what lights you up. Um, like I said, our passions, desires and pain aren't there just for shits and giggles. It's there as an innate compass to guide you for what you've come here for. So please, please, please follow what lights you up. And it's, I know it's very easy to say because we can wear a lot of expectations. We can wear a lot of, you know, identities, I guess, if you will, from society, from family, from friends, but it's okay to break out of that and start living for you, right? Um, so yeah, live in the way that lights you up and revel in joy and splash in cosmic puddles of joy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely words. Um, why don't you just tell our um, listeners where they can get hold of you, where they can see more of your stuff and hopefully uh, follow you and your wisdom. Sure. Um, on Instagram, you can find me at uh, underscore Gerprit-Lote. That's G-U-R-P-R-E-T-L-O-T-A-Y. Um, and yeah. That's where I am right now. Awesome, awesome. We'll post that in the description of this pod. Um, all right, cheers, Gurpreet. It's been fascinating. And listeners, thanks very much. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.